Shelley Schlender for Me and My Diabetes. Up next, we hear from Steve Finney. Steve Finney, you just came back from an ultramarathon race. What was it called? It's called the Western States 100, or also the Western States Endurance Run. Does that mean that people ran 100 miles? Yes, it's a, it, the race was uh, first held in, uh, I think it was 1974, and it's been held almost annually since then. There have been a couple times in the intervening years because of fire or other things that it isn't held. But it starts at Squaw Valley by Lake Tahoe and runs up over the Sierra Mountains and down to the western foothills to a town called Auburn, uh, 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 just about uh, 40 miles north of where I live. Were you there to race in this race or were you there to be a researcher? Oh, no, no. I was there to appreciate what a bunch of other people, uh, racers, were doing. I was there as a researcher in conjunction with my colleague, Dr. Jeff Volek from the University of Connecticut. And he came out with a, a team of, uh, of his graduate students, and we performed a study on racers, some of the racers before the race, immediately after the race, and then for multiple days following completion of the race. With these racers, what were you looking for? Well, the reason we were particularly interested in a 100-mile race, and particularly in this race, is that increasingly among the what are called ultra-endurance athletes, there is greater and greater appreciation among some of them that they perform better when they cut way back on their carbs than if they follow the traditional very high carbohydrate fueling practice called carbohydrate loading. So... They're, this race is now composed of a heterogeneous mix of runners, some of whom follow the traditional high carbs, some of whom have switched over and adopted a low-carb strategy. And we did not tell runners what they should eat. But among the 350 or so participants in the race, we were able to recruit about 25 people, half of whom said they were following a, a high-carb diet, and the other half were following some version of a low-carb diet. Now, Stefini, when they said that they were high-carbers or low-carbers, was there any way that you could tell whether they were telling you the truth? Um, there are many possible ways. One of the things was we had them give it the diet records. Um, what they ate in the three days before the race, we had them after the race write down everything that they could remember they ate during the race. And then half of them we put up in a local hotel near the end of the race. Where they're not locked up, but... We were all living in the same space for a couple of days, and we uh, had them back each morning to get uh, uh, blood samples from them. Uh, so we had a pretty good sense of who was, who was doing what. When we examined the lab results later on uh, the, the, from the samples we collected, we will also be able to use biomarkers that indicate who was eating high carb and who was low carb. Well, who was winning and who was losing among these people eating different ways? Well, the this, this surprising thing about this race, and it surprised the people who organized the race, is that this year, for the first time, a low-carb runner, a openly professed low-carb runner, um, won the race. So an openly low-carb runner came out of the closet and said that he eats a lot of fat and doesn't eat a lot of carbs. That's correct. His name is Tim Olson. Uh, he lives in Oregon, and he's uh, made the transition, he says, to low-carb about a year or so ago. 
Uh, he won a 100-mile race, I think, in uh, late fall or early winter. Uh, and so he had already demonstrated he could do the event on low-carb. And um, when he came in, into this one, his goal was not just to do the race, but he stated at the outset his goal was to win. So he ran at the front of the race. He was running in, uh, with a number of other very accomplished uh, male competitors, people who'd done this race before and placed well before. And somewhere between mile 65, he went through my, the, the checkpoint at mile 65 a, a couple minutes ahead of the next guy, and there were a group of like four runners who were within four or five minutes of each other. Um, when he passed mile 85, the checkpoint at mile 85, he'd opened the gap somewhat. And between mile 85 and 100, this is, he's already run over three marathons. He opened up and a, a, an additional 15 minute gap in the last 15 miles. So he was able to put on a burst of speed at the end of the race. And he finished 15 minutes ahead of his next closest competitor, but more importantly, he knocked 21 minutes off the overall time course record. All on a low-carb, high-fat diet. This is all on a low-carb, high-fat diet with relatively little of what people call in-race calories. Well, was he eating during the race? Uh, all these runners eat and drink. You, you, know, you can't maintain your hydration unless you drink. And most runners find that if you can't eat during the race, if you get upset um, stomach and you can't eat, you're going to drop out because if you can't eat, you hit the wall or do what other, other athletes call bonking. Did uh, you run out of carbohydrate? The, because you don't have enough carbohydrate, blood sugar drops because there isn't enough to make enough glycogen to make it, and the brain suffers from inadequate fuel. And if you don't stop running, you're going to pass out. You're going to go into a coma. Well, so he did eat, but what did he eat well, he, during the race? A, I, I wouldn't tell you if I knew because it's confidential research information. And B, I don't think he'd want any of the details of what he's doing because realize all of a sudden this guy knows absolutely that he's got a remarkable competitive edge. Some of it is his inborn, you know, God-given talent as an ultra-endurance runner, but some of it has to do with the diet. But typically the low-carb runners eat far less, so a... A high-carb runner may eat up to 6,000 in-race calories. Typically, a low-carb runner will eat 2,000 or less. And the better adapted they are to low-carb, the less they, feel they, they find they have to eat. Well, but I, so you aren't going to tell me whether or not for the race, uh, this winner got out all of the glucose gels, the sugar gels and the cookies and the, the high-carb fuels, or whether he ate sticks of butter. We, we don't get to know that yet. Well, typically he probably wouldn't eat butter or fat anyway, because this guy is a super slim, highly efficient athlete. He's got very little body fat. But if let's say he's 7% or 8% by weight body fat, he still has at least 30,000 calories of fat in his body when he starts, when the, when the starting gun goes off, 30,000 calories. If... You run this race, you, you know, typically your body will burn 10,000 calories. So he's got enough to run the race three times over before he runs out of fat fuel. But for the carb-loaded runner at the same starting line, and if they've done their carb-loading to the maximum, the most carb calories they have in their body is 2,000. 
So if they're running on a carb fuel strategy, you've got one fifth of the fuel in your body, in your, in your fuel tank at the start of the race that you need to complete the race. If you're running on a fat fuel strategy, you've got three times as much fuel in the tank as you need to complete the race. And that's the beauty of, literally the beauty, the metabolic beauty of the low carb adapted athlete in an ultra performance event. Was he the only one who was excelling eating this way or were there others? Uh, I would, I don't, we only got data from 25 athletes out of the, that's less than one in 10. We kind of, we were sort of rushed to get this protocol in place. And so we didn't recruit people months ahead of time. We were recruiting people the day before the race. They were walking in saying, I want to be in your study. Uh, so, um, I do know that among the top 20 males, there were a, a couple other um, clear, clear, well, um, well uh, adapted low carb runners among the men. And among the top 20 women, there were, I know at least two of them were low carb runners. Were some of the winners or some of the people who were the quickest on the other side of this whole spectrum, were some of them eating a lower fat, very high carb diet and were they adapted that way and yet they ran very fast. Absolutely. So this speaks quite possibly to the issue of individualization that all of us don't come out of the exact same cookie cutter in terms of what we look like and what our metabolism looks like. And some people's metabolism seems to tolerate lots of carbs without much in the way of side effects. That is, they remain highly insulin sensitive, even when they eat a high carbohydrate diet, so that fuel is rapidly processed, goes to the tissue and gets burned for fuel. But if there's even a hint of insulin resistance in a person's metabolic makeup, you exacerbate that with the high carb feeding. And you can make that insulin resistance essentially go away with a low carb feeding. And so some people are, are probably uh, well adapted to be higher carb runners, and some people are much better adapted to be low-carb runners. You know, a lot of people, when they hear that, they assume that this means some people will be skinny and some people will be fat if they eat carbs, depending on whether they're adapted to eating carbs or not, whether their bodies can handle it. But I hear you say something different, that a person's ability to tap their own energy stores and be able to use what they eat for energy may be different for some people than it is for others. So that for some runners, if they eat high carb, then their body can get all that energy and do something with it. And they can move and run and think very clearly. With other people, if they eat a lot of carbs, it locks out their bodies from getting energy from the carbs, and it locks out their bodies from getting energy from the fat, and they don't run very well. Sure, and they, they don't have access, good access to either fuel tank. And getting access to the fat fuel tank does not happen overnight. And it doesn't happen halfway through the race. So the guy who starts out with 2,000 calories of glycogen, he or she cannot burn all that glycogen and then suddenly switch over and efficiently burn fat. Because that we, we demonstrated 30 years ago and have shown over and over again in studies that that process of adaptation takes at least three weeks and maybe as long as two or three months before you've got your fuel utilization process fully adapted over to being highly efficient in burning fat. 
And so when you mention glycogen, you're mentioning this kind of sugary, starchy thing that the body can store close to muscles and in the liver for being an energy source that's sort of it's stored in the body, stored in the bag kind of energy for somebody who's burning carbs. Is that a fair way to say it? Yes. We, okay. we often talk about blood sugar and people think there's a lot of energy in the body as blood sugar. Actually, at any one moment in time, there's never, unless someone's an uncontrolled diabetic, there's never more than 40 calories of free sugar total in the body. That's like a teaspoon. Yeah, a couple of teaspoons. That's enough, that, that, that's enough to run half a mile. So there's only, in, the, in terms of blood sugar, there's only half a mile worth of fuel circulating in the blood before it's all gone down to zero. So the body's way of coping with that is to make this stuff called glycogen, which is kind of like the starch granules, some like, like flour, particles of flour that are um, stored in the liver and in the muscle and can be released on demand. But we can't, the human body store, cannot store very much of that. And it's not an energy efficient form of storage because like any other form of starch, in, in the human body, it has to be hydrated. There has to be water with it. So you have to store three grams of water for every gram of carbohydrate stored as glycogen. So that, that carries, that's a lot of weight that you carry around if you're storing that much fuel. Whereas fat is a much more weight-efficient fuel at nine calories per gram, and it doesn't need any water with it to be stored. So our bodies tend to store plenty of fat, but it doesn't look like it's plenty because it's so efficient to store and that's where you'd rather get your energy from, is the fat. Well, for, for a prolonged event like this, why not use the, the tank that's big and has, has enough in it to get you to the finish line rather than having to constantly be trying to refuel every few miles. So at the, in this race, there were checkpoints at frequent intervals. And not only do they do medical checks on the runners because you know this is a exceedingly demanding event, but they have food at each one of these things um, because their experience in the past has been if they don't feed the runners every five or ten miles, they're not going to make it to the finish line. But that leads to another important distinction between the high-carb diet and the high-fat diet. And that is for many runners, when they use the high-carbohydrate fueling strategy, many runners found that by mile 50, and often, and certainly for by mile 75, that they started having major gastrointestinal upset to the point that not only could they, could they not hold food down, but they had a hard time holding liquids down. And that's a disaster in this race where the sweat losses and the evaporative losses are so great that if you can't keep fluids coming in, you're out of the race. This is the high-carbohydrate runners who had this problem. The high-carbohydrate runners experienced frequent, many of them experience frequent and severe gastrointestinal problems. And what induced, has induced many of them to make this switch to, you know, be, do this bold thing and go to low carb is that they've heard from other people that when they went from high carb to a low carb, high fat diet, those gastrointestinal problems went away. Do you think that there's a chance that some of those people who made that switch were carbohydrate intolerant. And one reason that their digestion was having problems is either because they have trouble eating grains and outside of whether it's carbs or fat, or simply they have trouble with that kind of metabolism. And their gastrointestinal upset was a clue that that high carb diet wasn't working for them. In the past, everybody assumed that there were some people who just couldn't complete the race because they were, as some people call them, hurlers. And it was just a characteristic that prevented them from completing the race. 
runner after runner after runner that I talked to, they said, the thing that's made the difference for me is this diet. Two things. One is I don't get upset, stomach. So the food I want to eat, I can eat. So we had a guy, he, he was, I think this guy was in his early 60s. He said, you know, I was getting a little hungry when it came to be dawn. Now the race starts at five o'clock on Saturday morning. So he's talking about dawn on Sunday morning. He said, when I came into this checkpoint, they had bacon and eggs. And I took a bite of the eggs and I said, nah, but then I had some bacon and it tasted so great. And I finished so strong. <laughs> this is a guy who wasn't racing for the lead, obviously. In this race, if you, you have to complete, you have to, to legally finish, you have to complete it in 30 hours. Uh, and he had this big pile of bacon and then he got back on the trail and he just felt so much like he'd got his renewed energy. And that is something he'd never been able to do on when he's eating carbs. We have another racer who's a woman uh, who I think this is her second race. And in the last year, she switched from high carb to low carb. And she had a major problem with, with upset last year. This year, not only did she have no problem with upset, but she best, bested her previous time by over two hours uh, on, the, on the low carb compared to the high carb diet. Well, Steve Finney, I want to go back to one thing that you mentioned, that this man who switched to the low carb, high fat diet was in his 60s and running a 100 mile race. The 60 is especially astonishing. There are a number, there are a number of elder, older runners in this race, and some people have come back to the race having given it up. Even though they're 10 years older, they think they're performing better when they, when, after they've made the transition to the low-carb, high-fat metabolic fueling strategy. How soon do you think before we get to see the data that you got from your study? Uh, we generated a lot of samples. Uh, we'll be keeping the laboratory folks, the ones who work in the lab and do all the hard work, uh, busy on those for at least three or four months. And then we'll be analyzing the data. So it's probably Christmas time before we're looking at the full picture. So we hope two things. We hope to come back to the Western states next year better prepared um, with better support because we did this whole thing on a shoestring. You know, nobody was getting paid to do this, uh, neither the subjects nor the researchers. We were all doing this on our own time. And we hope to come back and report to the Western States. The, the organizing um, body that runs this is the Western States Endurance Run Foundation. And they made a quite significant donation to us to help defray the costs of our lab analyses. And we will be coming back to their pre-race meeting next year and reporting our scientific results. So at the absolute latest, the last weekend in June of next year, this will become public knowledge. I'm Shelley Schlender. You've been listening to Steve Finney. You can find more interviews like this at meandmydiabetes.com.